0: This is Hearts of Oak podcast. Free speech, religious disagreement, children's rights, and open and free discussion on any topic are bedrock to a democratic free society. And we seek to promote and champion these basic rights. Join us. Let's keep the conversation going. And it's wonderful to have Dr. David with us today. Dr. Martin, thank you so much for your time. Peter, it's an honour to be here. Great to have you. I had the privilege of seeing you in person in the UK Parliament, and we'll get into that. Back in December, Andrew Bridgen had invited you over to speak, along with many others, and people can obviously find you. There is your Twitter handle, at Dr. D. Martin World. Um, And it was actually intriguing. One of the more difficult people I've interviewed to grasp their background. I know you mentioned uh, in one of your videos, your background is biology, psychology, sports medicine, orthopedics, and radiology. Um, of course, you're the the founder and chairman of MCAM, which is International Leader in Innovation Finance. Uh, you have uh, the subject of two internationally awarded documentaries patent wars which highlights your work in reform of the innovation system and the patent system and then the other one's future dreaming looking at the dialogue between uh, humanity and its optimal interaction in the universe uh, just those two films uh, are enough but if i could um jump in and i think in one of your interviews you had mentioned you first published a briefing on coronavirus in 2003 maybe could i ask you yeah what how was coronavirus on your radar 20 years ago
1: well the 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 good news peter is it wasn't technically as an isolated exercise on my radar um as an isolated thing it was on a platform that we had developed uh, for inside of our company. The platform, uh, MCAM, uh, has a, a very large patent archive, which we use for underwriting financial transactions. And that archive includes patents from 168 countries. It includes patents of every variety. The archive that we have goes back to the 18th century, so it it's it's comprehensive, <laughs> Um and in the early 2000s we decided to put together a monitoring program in that platform to monitor all violations of biological and chemical weapons treaties and to monitor anything that was being done that would suggest that maybe there was something that the public should be concerned about and so coronavirus per se was not the target of an investigation It was, in fact, one of 64 pathogens that we monitor with weekly regularity so that we can see what people are doing, what economic interests are being filed around either pathogens or how they get distributed or how they get countermeasured or how they get immunized or whatever. We just monitor all this stuff. And what we found alarming was a patent application that was filed in 2002 by Ralph Barrick at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, where he filed a patent on what was called infectious replication defective clone of coronavirus. Now, people familiar with history will know that the official SARS outbreak was 2003. So we thought that it was very bizarre that we had a patent on a genetically modified coronavirus that preceded by, in this particular instance, three years of funded research from NIAID, Anthony Fauci's organization. We just thought it was interesting that a project funded by NIAID that gave rise to a patent on a weaponized form of a pathogen was the then giant surprise that we had a allegedly a pandemic that was started after all those things happened. And Peter the problem about this is just the historical the historical time frame. I mean you can't you can't pretend to ignore the fact that humans and bats and other civets and other, you know, animals have have gone through existence for Thousands of years probably exchanging all kinds of, of of cooties with each other. We, in 2002, patent a weaponized version of a thing, and then a year after the patent, we have a human outbreak of the thing that the thing said it was patented to do. So, so the reason why that was an alarm was because it should be alarming to anybody who hears this. This was not an accident. This was not, in in 2003, this was not some sort of, oops, how, how on earth did this transfer of, of information happen? It actually happened after humans spent three years modifying a thing. And the giant shock that didn't surprise us was the only places where a significant presence of what was allegedly the disease happened happened to be where the people who were doing the modification of the genetic material were working. So this was not some sort of escape thing from a a bat cave. It was kind of easy to map. And our problem, Peter, was really simple. People were pretending like this was a, a giant novel surprise, but remember that just 2 years earlier the united states had perpetrated the anthrax attack on its own population this is not an allegation this is confirmed by all the evidence the us department of defense weaponized anthrax and that weaponized anthrax was circulated in the population in september 2001 and so here we have two things we have the anthrax attack in 2001 we have this this biological modification of what was called this Infectious Replication Defective Clone of Coronavirus. And we saw all of that marching into this bizarre legislative program, which ultimately became what we call the PREP Act in the United States in 2005, which was the justification to give the manufacturers of drugs total product liability for pandemic response. Now, why is that a problem? It's a problem for a very simple reason. It's a problem. We shouldn't create the problem and then give people the opportunity to enrich themselves to the tune of $100 billion for allegedly solving the problem that we created. That that shouldn't be an acceptable thing. And so our briefing started then. We've been briefing coronavirus ever since. And so when 2019 came around, no big surprise, in April of 2019, when Moderna filed four patent applications in which they referenced an accidental or intentional release of a respiratory pathogen. While in 2018, Moderna had been fighting a lawsuit with the the owners of the patents on lipid nanoparticles. Um, you know, we put one and one together and figured out that guess what? One and one turns into two. It's not a surprise. And and that's why I've I've tried to point out that you know coronavirus is one as I said of sixty four pathogens that we monitor, and not a giant surprise we saw this coming. Um,
0: I want to get into following the money, and uh, you've spoken about that very recently. But actually, yeah. following the patents, which is something quite different, and something yeah. you've uh, talked about and and have done. I mean, has enough been asked about this? By, I mean, we've seen different committees on Capitol Hill. Uh, there's very little discussion anywhere else. It seems to be there are conversations with, with some politicians who understand uh, that the dangers of what has happened. Uh, has enough been asked, or simply can no. that question not be asked because it destroys the whole setup of the industry?
1: Yeah, so we have to unpack that question probably from two different angles the first angle is funding um the fact of the matter is the pharma industry in the u.s and in europe is the most financially robust lobbying organization um one only has to spend a small bit of time in geneva to find out that the entire european union is entirely bought by pharma um, you don't have to spend any time in the United States Congress to find out that the entire Congress in the United States is bought by pharma. Pharmaceutical lobbying currently outpaces all other lobbying by almost three times. Um, so, in terms of, and by the way, in that number, I'm including advertising. Um, I'm including public influence and overt just graft and corruption. The old fashioned we're going to buy a vote. So. So all of that and the UK, while the transparency is much harder to find, the UK is more insidious because the welcome trust in the UK has been synonymous with allegedly healthcare in the United Kingdom since the welcome trust was put in place and really took over the entirety of the UK health system by the 1920s. So we have to understand that we're dealing with a stacked deck. Um, in the United Kingdom, you know, you don't have an NHS, you have the Wellcome Trust. Um, the NHS happens to be the cover organization that launders the will of the Wellcome Trust. but but the the Wellcome Trust was who paid for your drug regulator. I, I just think about that. The company that is allegedly going to be regulated paid for the regulator to be established. So so the idea that somehow or another there's an independence of healthcare in the UK is past the point of ludicrous, and it went past that point in the 1920s. So, so we have the money trail, which is self-evident. And so the reason why, for example, Rand Paul, who is allegedly the most noteworthy of all of the people who are allegedly calling for accountability, the reason why the Rand Paul story is laughable is because he continues to hold hearings about what happened in Wuhan. But in October of 2014, NIAID sent a letter to Anthony or to Ralph Barrick's research program during the gain of function moratorium, which had happened just a few few short weeks earlier, in which NIAID explicitly told Ralph Barrick to continue to make the gain of function on coronavirus a funded and active program during the gain-of-function moratorium in North Carolina. So have the right questions been asked? Not even close. And so we have to ask the question, well, why would Rand Paul, with the evidence, still fail to ask that question? And the answer is actually quite grim. And that is because the United States government and its allies, let's be very clear, UK is... Up to its eyeballs and alligators here, as is the Australian government, as are a lot of other allied governments. But let's be abundantly clear. The reason why we don't want the questions asked is it would be an admission that the governments have been funding biological weapons programs right under the nose of the public for a long time. And when that information came out, there would be a public outcry about the unethical nature of that, that kind of research. Because in 1944, 1945, and 1946, the public weighed in on this. In the response to the Nuremberg trials, the public said, this is a bridge we shouldn't cross. And so the governments who know very good and well that they have crossed that bridge that the public has said shall never be crossed, that government doesn't want the questions asked because the answers will implicate their criminal behavior. Um you, you mentioned money, and I know
0: uh you've you're you're outspoken and um, I love that. You call things out as you see them, your investigations, and you say this is what we're finding. Um and of course, following the money you've uh come out and talked about politicians that make money from this and yeah. you talked about vivek recently um t- tell us about that because obviously if if uh this is uh, they're all getting a piece of the pie um and therefore there isn't going to be much change if they're financially rewarded
1: yeah, yeah so so it's funny i mean the the video you're referring to um was actually shot in the fall of of 2023 um, I had nothing to do with the timing of it. I had nothing to do with when it was released. Um, UI Media produced it. I think they did a brilliant job. Um, and I'm very, very proud of the product that Tim Ray and his team produced at UI Media. So um, to be perfectly candid, I find it hilarious that people think that I just recently outed Vivek. As a matter of fact, my wife, Kim, and I did a show um, back in the spring of, of 2023 where I did an entire show on the British Columbia and Canadian and Vivek um, involvement with the lipid nanoparticle. And, and quite to apparently everyone's surprise, um, I allegedly did this on the eve of the Iowa caucuses, which is not true at all. Um, a lot of times people like to build fantasy, but if you've ever produced a movie, you know that a produced movie didn't happen in 24 hours. Um we, we, we did not get this thing in time for the Iowa caucuses, and it happened to coincide with it. But to be clear in the film, um, I actually throw a couple other politicians rather conveniently under the bus, too. I talk about Ron DeSantis and the fact that he made promises to Zev Zelenko and me about um, pursuing the issues we raised with him. And he broke that promise. Um, I, I speak very bluntly about the facts because the facts don't need defense um but the fact of the matter with vivek is that if you go back and you look at the provenance of the company that is where vivek gets into this story which is in kind of the the range of 2014 to 2016 which during that period of time um vivek had a company which quite legitimately and i and i need to point this out quite legitimately was trying to work on some interventions around hepatitis um the reason I'm bringing this up is the 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 issue he was seeking to address and how he was going about it was actually quite a laudable biotech initiative. So I I don't have a problem with with you know the impulse. I think solving hepatitis is a big problem and and there's there's a, a lot of need to do that. So kudos to him for doing that. Where I have a problem with Vivek is that he bought Techmira. And TechMira was the company out of Uni- University of British Columbia Research, which owned the lipid nanoparticle technology that was developed at UBC. And in addition to owning that, it also had the data on how dangerous lipid nanoparticles were in human circulation. And this is where the problem starts for me. If, if um, you look at the trials that Vivek actually d- did sponsor, and did submit, he went after some really tough, um, very difficult to to manage diseases. There's an enormous amount of evidence that the technology he was using had significant adverse events. Um, So, so it's not a mystery. There's a lot of adverse events. And so I have a big problem when you start enriching yourself by ultimately then acquiring what became this rebranded Arbutus Pharmaceuticals, which then became Genovant, and Genovant is where I have the big problem, because Genovant was an inside deal, funded by the the um, Arbutus and the you know Vivex various funding sources, but that was an inside deal which specifically took the lipid nanoparticle out of hepatitis research and specifically put it into. a a variety of other programs, including and specifically naming gene modification, DNA and RNA injections. Now, that's where I have the problem. And I have the problem that we have a company that not only was grossly overvalued, um, if you look at their financial statements, look at how much revenue they got versus what the market was priced at. um, This got so much attention that even... Um Jim Kramer at CNBC decided to take Vivek into the studio and give him five minute interview about how amazing it was that Vivek was was riding on this unbelievably orbital rocket. And Peter when I watch money flow that doesn't look like it's flowing because there's revenue I always ask questions. I have to ask questions because among many things I underwrite financial transactions and I have a fund which actually invests in the market. So when I see something that's an anomaly, it's not weird for me to look at it and go, something is off here. And the fact is that between 2015 and 2018, Vivek enriched himself on the back of the story of lipid nanoparticles. And and let's get really clear, beginning in 2017, he and Moderna knew something was happening. They knew something was happening because Moderna started knocking off technology that they had licensed from the TechMira organization and the University of British Columbia and the two competing companies, Acuitous Pharmaceuticals and Arbutus Pharmaceuticals. And let's get abundantly clear. Vivek, in his own corporate filings, stated that the mRNA injection used for this particular shot came from his company. So why do I have a problem? I have a problem because I think if the money you're using to finance a campaign came from the profits that were generated on the back of trading the media hype, which is what Peter Dash said they were going to do in 2015, then I think that's a public accountability question. Now, does that make him a bad guy? No, it doesn't make him a bad guy. It just is a point of transparency that I think is pretty doggone important. And apparently a few other people think it's important too. Um, It fits into one of the slides you had up
0: at the UK parliament in December was the motive profit with impunity. Correct. Um, and I'm wondering, that is is that the, the major motive you've got? Uh, obviously, removal of freedoms uh, you've got a, a power grab in general across many spheres in this and um, where do you kind of put your finger on the the
1: main area of motive well so i i think we have to split two motives there there are the there are the arms dealers and implementers so we'll call them the mercenaries and then there're the generals so let's get really clear on what's the difference the, the arms dealers in generals are the pharmaceutical companies and their funding sources. So I've already said, you know, Rockefeller Foundation, unquestionably in the early 1900s, Welcome Trust, unquestionably also in the early 1900s, the, the Gates Foundation in their undisclosed settlement with the United States Department of Justice after being found guilty of criminal um, racketeering and antitrust. Um, these organizations are without question the financial arm of what is driving the problem for explicit gain when bill gates says that vaccines were his best investment and then he lauds multi you know hundreds percent returns on on vaccine gains the, these are all insidious and 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 notorious because of the fact and i peter i say this in every presentation you know peter dashick's quote Investors will respond if they see profit at the end of the process. This is not hidden. It's actually stated in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences in 2015. This is not an, a, a sleuthing exercise. It's a overt public statement. But then there's also the power side of this, which is a different prong of the fork. And the power side of this is actually a recognition among the, what many people would refer to as a shadow government, or the, you know, what I would refer to as kind of the post Westphalian. And by that, for people not familiar with what I'm saying there, what I'm saying is, after the Second World War, we, we kind of had the collapse of the nation state as a unit. And we had the rise of what is functionally a monotocracy, meaning monetary supply, or a corporatocracy, meaning the supply of power through corporations. And and when we see what's happened in that world, whether we take it from a monetary side or we take it from the corporate side, what we realize is that there are a group of unelected and unaccountable individuals, including but not limited to the World Economic Forum, people like the Gates Foundation and the Wellcome Trust, the Global Preparedness Monitoring Board, these are all unelected, unappointed, and unaccountable individuals who see this as the ultimate, in fact, coup d'etat, where they wind up taking the power out from under the elected process, the elected ordinary democratic process, and they turn this into an autocracy. And the fact of the matter is, as Klaus Schwab and as many other people have said, never let, you know, and this goes back to Churchill. I mean, never let a good crisis go to waste. The fact of the matter is they know that terror campaigns, and by the way, public health is the best terror campaign. If you can get people to fear for their existential reality by by making them think that they're about ready to die of a pathogen or whatever else, if you can get people to actually fall into a fear response state, they will give up anything, liberty, life, And fortune. They will give up anything. And that's exactly what has happened. So I think we have to address two things. There's the opportunists, the mercenaries, but then there is, in fact, this decay and ultimately undermining, which we know through the IHR is nearly complete. The UN and the World Health Organization's um, actions are clearly stating, and this is not my words, it's their words, the need for this allegedly one-world government, one-world control, and Peter, I can assure you, we have a hard enough time in the in the Americas dealing with 300 million votes. Um, there's there is no such thing as democracy in a one-world government. There is only autocracies and dictatorships. That's it. That's all there is, and there's no version of that that won't happen. So, so I think we have to see that both of these converging realities are what gives rise to the problems we've just seen.
0: Um, and you mentioned WHO, and just as you talked about patents, looking back in, that, showing you what has been planned or proposed. Um, I mean, the international health regulations, which actually I hadn't actually delved into much until you used that as a just a little throwaway comment, actually, in your 10, 12-minute presentation in the UK yeah. Parliament. But that goes back to, what, 2005? So all this talk about the WHO power grab, this isn't just happening no, oh no! Uh, it, it, this actually goes
1: back. So, I mean, tell us about that, because again, this is planned. Yeah, well, see, that's that's why we need to go back and look at the fact that, regardless of what you think about 2001, and and I have obviously my own views on that, which I, um, which I hold based on the information I have. Um, but 2001 was in many respects this this paroxysmal shift. Where um, we know, for example, that the destabilization of the Middle East was a planned exercise. You know, we weren't we weren't reacting to a terror campaign. We were triggering a justification for a terror campaign. Um, You know, we weren't reacting to bioterrorism. We created bioterrorism so we could get the PrEP Act. We have to be really clear on the fact that all the legislation actually precedes the event horizon. Um, You don't have legislation preceding event horizon unless the legislation and the event horizon have to do with each other. I have never met a politician who's prescient enough to anticipate a genuine human need ever, ever. I've never met that politician. At best, politicians are reactionary Slow motion in reverse. They're not ever prospectively anticipating a better outcome. so So the idea that somehow or another um, any of the u n or WHO activities is somehow an accident overlooks the fact that this was an attempted coup that took place years earlier. If we go back to the collapsed WTO negotiations in Doha which is one of the most famous stories that apparently nobody ever talks about, we realized that the reason why the non-aligned countries became non-aligned, so we're talking about the BRICS, Brazil, India, Russia, China, and others. The reason why the BRICS actually were such an impediment to the World Trade Organization uh, round in Doha was because we knew that what was happening was an attempt to take over the public health of the world as a means of economic and social control. Because if you control the health of the population and you control the drug delivery systems for that population, you control the world. Now, as a Brit, you'll appreciate that Queen Elizabeth was one that architected this in 1604. In 1604, she realized that if you get opium dealers and the British Navy to work in concert, you can control the world. And guess what? For the next several hundred years, that's exactly what happened. So this is not a new phenomenon at all. This goes back to, you know, the charter of the British East India Company and the Virginia Company. I mean, this has been around for a long time. We're playing this playbook. But we have to understand that the IHR power grab right now has nothing to do with health. It has everything to do with the restraint of industry and trade, the restraint of commerce, the reorganization of social principles. This is not about health. It never has been about health. And if you look at the records all the way back to the Doha round of the WTO, so that's another 10 years back, what you find is that there has been an absolute attempt by the part of a very small group of people to turn this... um, this this financiatocracy this corporatocracy into a full-blown takeover of the world and that is exactly what they're on the eve of doing well it's on the eve of discussing
0: what is coming next um which is disease x um yeah. they're uh, discussing that in um in davos at the yeah. moment um <laughs> And supposedly, have vaccines been uh, rushed through and prepared for something that we don't actually know? Talk to us. <laughs> when, when you see that play out, um, how, <laughs> how how do you explain that to
1: yeah. uh, the public? Well, so so everybody and Peter, you can put it in the show notes. Um, there is the equivalent of Event Two Hundred One, which was, as you know, the the October Twenty Nineteen dry run of coronavirus. Um, There is a program that was funded also by Dustin Moskowitz, the co-founder of Facebook, like he did Event 201. Um, there is an event called Clade X. C-L-A-D-E-X, Clade X. Just like the Event 201, people, Disease X, Clade X, the brand's already there, the material's already there. Everything about it is already out there and they have the full desktop exercise already done. So should we be surprised that they're using the brand that they already branded? Not at all. But let's be abundantly clear. There is no disease X, just like there was no coronavirus pandemic. Now, I'm going to be very precise because there's a lot of people that get upset when I say that. There was a contamination of the human health system by an engineered pathogen that was distributed to the population that is a fact but this was not a pandemic using the classic definition of pandemic meaning a disease which actually has transmissibility and virulence that has the ability to propagate in multiple environments by transmission that is not what we had and this is where the people who go well There was a thing. There wasn't a thing. Well, guess what? There was a weapon dispensed on a population. The vast majority of that weapon was delivered through a syringe, but that weapon was delivered in aerosolized form and in direct contact form. And there's a whole bunch of ways we already know. Remember that in the spring of 2020, the CDC and FDA were shocked when they found out that nasal swabs that were being sent out for testing were contaminated with coronavirus, You know what? That's not an accident. Because three years earlier, DARPA funded a company that actually had the ability to put a pathogen on a nasal swab. And that company is actually a matter of public record. So this is not some sort of, oops, I don't know how it happened. It actually was designed to happen. My point is simple. We have a situation where what this disease X thing is supposed to be is the next terror campaign to say, if you thought coronavirus was bad, this one's going to be worse. And the answer is, it it's not. Now, Peter, a dry run happened, and most people don't even know about this, just a few months ago. I don't know if you knew, but there was a period of time in the late fall, early winter this year, in 2023 where there was a very bizarre alleged outbreak of, are you ready for this? A tick-borne encephalitis. Now, it turns out that if you look at where the research on that tick-borne encephalitis was happening, it was happening predominantly in the Ukraine with US-funded military biological research institutions. Now, what I found fascinating was I actually pointed this out, it's in public record. I pointed it out before it happened and shortly after I mentioned this alleged outbreak of tick-borne encephalitis, the the CDC issued not only a warning on tick-borne encephalitis but then followed that a few days later by a recommendation to get a vaccine for tick-borne encephalitis. Now Peter, in the UK, you're probably not familiar with the idea of winter. I'm sure you guys have nothing but balmy seasons all the time. But here in North America, we have a thing called a summer, um, which is when ticks come out, and a winter when ticks are largely either moribund, larval, or hibernating. So why was it that right before Thanksgiving, we needed to be alerted to a tick-borne encephalitis outbreak, and why do we need to follow that with an immediate recommendation to be prepared for a vaccine for tick-borne encephalitis? Well, the answer is very simple. CDC is currently conducting a series of social experiments to see what fear porn they can put up, which actually is sufficient to take the bait for the public. And giant shock, in the case of monkeypox, we heard all of us were about ready to die, even though the only people who seemed to come down with monkeypox were gay men in a nightclub in Germany. But since all of us frequent gay nightclubs in Germany, we were all at risk somehow. I don't know how that worked out, but, but, you know, they tried to make monkeypox a thing. If you go back and look at the history on that, we had the mysterious monkeys released in Pennsylvania a few months earlier. So we were supposed to have this wonderful terror campaign that said, well, if monkeypox is out, we know some monkeys got loose in Pennsylvania. There's probably a high probability that everybody's going to be gay in in nightclubs in Germany. And so everybody needs to get a vaccine. Um, you know, if we were dumb enough to believe that we would fall for it. But the media picked up the monkeypox story. The media, for whatever reason, didn't pick up the tick-borne encephalitis story, despite the fact that we have um, reports that came out of the Ukraine that we had several hundred people who lost balance who had high fever, who had all kinds of problems that actually are consistent with Siberian tick uh, encephalitis. And the media, for whatever reason, didn't pick up on that because they were distracted by, oh, that's right, a bunch of other things that had nothing to do with this particular issue. And we turned it into a news cycle during that period of time that had to do with public officials and everything else. But the fact of the matter is, this is a market test. Disease X doesn't exist. Disease X is a placeholder of a terror campaign that the world is trying to have foisted upon itself so that once again, we all fall into submission and realize that we can't handle banknotes because they might be contaminated. So of course we need a central bank digital currency. Why not? Because we don't want to touch, you know, soiled, soiled bills, forgetting for some mysterious reason that the United States had its own research that said that if you handled US currency you were probably coming in contact with several not only known diseases but you were also coming in contact with cocaine it, there was a period of time i remember the studies where where if you touched certain bills 20s and 100 dollar bills the likelihood that you were actually getting contact exposure to cocaine was nearly certain because that's what people were doing with them the point is simple Disease X is the same fear-porn campaign of domestic and international terrorism which is meant to try to destabilize the population into worrying about a thing so that we can look to our saviors for succor. We want we want to be saved by the people who are in fact the Stockholm syndrome propagators. And we have to draw a line in the sand publicly and say we're not going to fall for it. There is no Disease X and there's not going to be a Disease X. There's going to be a biological weapons attack. Market under under the brand of disease X. That's what it is.
0: Um, you bioweapon is a term you've yep. used a lot, and others have used a lot. And it seems to be that the media now allow a conversation that this was uh, maybe leaked from a lab, it's not yep. a wet market, but that's as far as the media yep. allow the conversation to go. Um, how do you, when you're I mean, you've been as I said, in the UK Parliament, you are at the European Parliament in May. Uh, w- when you are at those type of events and bringing this concept, I mean, how do you leave those influential individuals with uh, an understanding and acceptance that actually this is something different than you've been told this is a bioweb? Because that's something that many people will recoil at.
1: Yeah, well, listen. I mean, let's. I I try to remind people that Peter Daschek, in his CV, in 2005, received funding for synthetic coronavirus biohacking under the title "biowarfare enabling technology." Let's go ahead and say that one more time. Peter Daschek got funding from the United States government for synthetic coronaviruses for biowarfare enabling technology. So is Dave Martin calling it a biological weapon? No, Peter, if you actually say biowarfare enabling technology, ironically, that means that you're violating federal statutes in the United States federal code, and you can't sugarcoat it. So people don't like that I pointed out. But they should not like biological weapons a lot more than me pointing out that that's what it is, right? We should remember that after 1944, we, the global community, said we would never tolerate this again. I, saying biological weapon, am not the problem. The problem is Ralph Barrick putting biowarfare enabling technology on his CV and getting funded by DARPA and getting funded by MITRE for biowarfare enabling technology. This is not Dave Martin's opinion. This is not playing games with words. This is actually reading the black and white on the paper. And what irritates me is people are actually looking at the evidence of the crime and trying to justify it by coming up with a good motive. Biowarfare enabling technology should never be funded on Earth gain-of-function research on dynamically improving the lethality of a pathogen should never be done on Earth. This is not Dave Martin's opinion. This is the will of the global community in 1946. I'm not making that statement. We collectively, as billions of people, said we were not going to tolerate it. And you know what we're doing? We're trying to wordsmith what Ralph Barrett might have possibly meant when he said biowarfare enabling technology, he might have possibly said that he was trying to save the world from a pathogen that he had created. That's BS. That is absolute BS. And I'm frustrated with the fact that to date, not a single politician, not one, nowhere on this planet, not a single politician has read that into the record. That's an embarrassment to humanity. And that's an embarrassment to all of the global citizenry that should be calling for that from every elected official. Why is it that we have to dance on this thing? Why is it that we're too scared to read a published CV and call that a fact? This isn't my opinion, never has been my opinion. This is an unequivocal fact and we must call for public accountability. And I, for one, won't shut up until people realize there is no justification for that. And
0: um, Well, that and that's why. I, I wanted you on so badly. Um, and that's why I have thoroughly enjoyed your um, your Twitter and the many interviews, uh, because you're someone who calls things out and has that boldness. So I, I do appreciate your time today, Dr. David Martin. Thank you so much for giving us uh,
1: some of those insights um, in your research. So thank you so much. It is an honor, Peter. And thank you for getting the word out. I appreciate everyone who amplifies message so they can be heard. I appreciate that. If
0: you like what we do, sign up to our mailing list, donate, share, and subscribe to our many platforms at heartsovoke.org. Thank you for listening.